This is the Breaking Down Incident Response Podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Betcher. And I am Michael Goff. Hello, and welcome to Attack Part 2. This is topic is a little-known guide of advice, adversarial behavior. So part two, we, we did part one with Katie Nichols, but this time I think for part two, we're going to do this ourselves. Now, uh, let me go over a little show summary for you. We're going to talk about um, some newsworthy items, uh, lots of breaches going on. Uh, we've got a few site-worthy items and maybe one tool to talk about that uh, we thought was worthy for this episode. Malware of the Month, we have one. And uh, it's pretty cool. And, of course, topic of the day, Torah, 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 which has nothing to do with Tor. If you uh, are a student of World War II, you'll know what that is. And now a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Humio, a high-performance log management and analysis tool delivering real-time performance for system monitoring and investigation. By allowing users to ingest huge amounts of data on a single node for ad hoc queries, and search without doing any indexing, Humio enables its users to monitor a system for errors, user volumes, transactions, registrations, or search on multiple parameters. Humio is available in both on-premise and cloud versions. Start a free trial of Humio today at humio.com. That is H-U-M-I-O dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by LogMD the log and malicious discovery tool for Windows-based systems for IT, InfoSec, IR, and forensics professionals. It helps you assess your audit log settings against several industry standards, including the Windows Logging Cheat Sheet, so you can improve your logging to collect all the right things. LogMD can also be used to hunt for targeted, malicious, and interesting artifacts such as large registry keys, autoruns, WMI persistence, malicious PowerShell execution, and targeted log events that can then be collected by your log management solution. LogMD provides more details and easy-to-read reports than your EDR solutions can provide. We offer a free, professional, and consulting licenses. Discover it. Discover LogMD today at log-md.com. Yeah, so like I said, we don't have a guest. We're, we are the guests. We're actually oh, the guests because we are the content contributors of the topic. We're each other's guests, right? Okay, first topic. Newsworthy. So, newsworthy items. Well, this article is from Way, W-A-A-Y 31ABC. They're talking about kind of summarizing a lot of breaches that are going on. Yes, they've had uh, quite a few, right? They're claiming over a billion. uh, This is ridiculous, right? A billion accounts have been breached in the past 30 days. And there's a list of the various people, you know, Quora, FBI, National Republic is investigating the National Republican Congressional Committee. I can speak today. Uh, Dell, which is another talk thing we're going to talk about. City of Ames, Iowa, Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Atrium Health, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a billion. Yeah. This is becoming really commonplace in our industry. So, you know, the whole purpose of these news articles, which all seem to hit in one week, and two of them affected me personally, is I think the message we've talked about many times before is freeze your credit. That way, when these things go down and someone gets your, your personal information, you're somewhat protected by freezing of the credit. Yeah, somewhat. You never know what they could get besides, okay, so if you freeze your credit, you're protecting your you're protecting yourself from them opening up accounts in your name. 
But there's probably a lot of other things they could do with your information, right? Well, they're going to fish you. I know we've seen a lot of this. Uh, people send us emails that say, hey, uh, this person says they're, they're, they want money because they have my password. They're watching my machine, seeing my video cam, etc. And it turns out they're just using the data from one of these breaches. And they're sending you an email with one of your old passwords that was in the breach trying to extort you for cash, right? So they can use it for all kinds of other things. Right. So be very skeptical if somebody has personal data about you that you don't think is out there. It actually might be out. You just uh, aren't aware of it, right? And and I'm sure there's a lot of companies that have been breached already that they don't even know or they haven't disclosed it yet, right? And it begs the question like, okay, how many billions, like McDonald's, how many billions and billions and billions, when are you going to stop counting, right? It's <laughs> not hamburgers. I mean, Maybe it, it is. There's only so many people in on earth. Maybe they're just they should just uh, publish, okay, this is how many new people, like, okay, teenagers that just got signed up for this website. This is, this is, these are the new people now. Okay, it's not, it's not um, 31 million. It's, it's probably 500,000 because the, the rest of them were already breached in some other attack some, some other year or whatever. We need a new, uh, new end of the world counter or whatever. That's a percentage of the planet that's been uh, compromised, and you can just count down yeah, the percentage of the population. We, we need planet. a we need a compromised clock website. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sitting there ticking. ticking yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't know. Lessons learned from this? I mean, geez, it's a long list. Uh, well, uh, we're big proponents of using password vaults for sure, and having unique passwords for every internet website is crucial. That way, when one goes down. They can't use it to log into something else. We saw that heavily used in the LinkedIn uh, hack where they used your credentials and went after Facebook, Yahoo, Gmail. So, yeah, use a password vault for sure. Make every password unique. The vault will remember them. You don't have to remember the cryptic long. Remember, length and entropy is your best friend. If you can remember your password, it's probably not good enough. Oh, yeah. All right, next. um, This article is from Dark Reading. Yeah. And it says uh, Dell forces password reset. Yeah. Uh, why would they do that? Uh, I This is the second time I've been affected by Dell. Uh, the first time uh, led to, and, and you were with me one day when I got a call on my cell phone in regards to uh, your computer's infected. We'd like to, you know, uh, reach in and clean it out for you. So fortunately, the lab was up and running and we went ahead and let them actually do that to watch what they did. And that data came from uh, the the people that do the support for Dell back uh uh, I don't know, two, three, four years ago, and they were using this scam to try to get people to pay money. But Dell recently has uh, sent out a new uh, email, and unfortunately, I was one of them. That's one of the reasons it made uh, the list for the newsworthy, and I had to reset my my Dell support uh, password because I do use Dell hardware. And yeah, bummer, bummer for me. I had two in one day, which is the next article. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the next article is from Krebs. Um, it's about the Marriott breach, okay? So, uh, basically, 500 million guests' data was stolen over the course of four years, I guess, or the hackers were in the network, in the Marriott network for four years digging around. So, this would be actually the old original Starwood before Marriott bought them, and so they bought them and then had to claim this once they found out about it. And and so, if you were Starwood members, uh, frequent frequent reward stare, which I was when I was at HP. I used Starwood quite a bit. Uh, I was in that database. So uh, I got notified and they are um, a little different. They're not giving you a credit monitoring in this case. They're using a service from Kroll where they'll uh, monitor your account information 
that you enter. In my case, I entered my uh, I entered my uh, email address because that's what um, I know for sure was in there. But the other interesting part, which again, when I put this out on uh, on the WhatsApp to a bunch of our security colleagues, uh, and they said monitor your passport. So um, I know when I travel, I generally don't ever give a hotel a passport, but maybe for overseas guests, this is normal. Not really sure, but in the Kroll sign-up, when I put my stuff in there, it asked for my passport passport number. And, of course, I did not enter that because, A, I've gotten a new passport and gotten a new number since this breach occurred, so I'm not overly concerned about that. But why would you give your passport to a hotel? I know it's not been my experience, but maybe listeners can, uh, maybe it's a thing in Europe because of the, uh, you know, small, a lot of countries all, you know, close together. Uh, and that's why they use passports. I'm not really sure, but uh, passports was one of the options to have monitored by Kroll. So yeah, I had to change the Marriott password and uh, Sheraton stuff's already been converted, so I didn't have to worry about the Sheraton stuff. Uh, but I had to change that password too. Uh, I think it, last Friday, as a matter of fact, when I changed these Dell and Marriott, I was like, man. And then this article came out about a billion accounts. I'm like, well, Yep. And I got my, two weeks ago, got my $50 check from Anthem's Breach. And so that paid for, what, one and a half of my credit freezes when they were uh, not free. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what you're worth in a, in a big breach in settlement is $50. That's right. So it says the hotel chain did not say precisely when in 2014 the breach was thought to have begun. But it's worth noting that Star Wars did disclose its own breach in November 2015, just days after being acquired by Marriott. So is this part of the same breach? Yes. They disclosed that one back then, but they said that earlier the breach stretched back one year to 2014, and it, that's exactly when they're saying that this breach started 2014. Um, I thought that was interesting, and and also uh, of note, it says Marriott added that customer payment card data was protected by encryption technology, but that the company couldn't rule out the possibility that the attackers had also made off with the encryption keys. Now, back when I had a, a payment process, or I was uh, supporting a payment processing system, the, the keys were located in the application servers, of course, not the database servers. And the, and the database would have, well, there, there were two passwords, one to the database by the app. And then in order to decrypt the data that was on the database itself, the app also had encryption keys to decrypt that credit card processing data. So that data was on the the application server. Now, um, also, they may not have had to make off with the keys. They, if if they use strong encryption or weak encryption, rather, it doesn't say what kind of encryption was used. It could have been DES or something. We don't know. They they, they didn't disclose that apparently. Yeah, uh, if they were in the system for that long, they may have made off with encryption keys and been able to decrypt everything. That they had. Which includes people's passports, potentially. Yeah. So, yeah, you can sign up for free on the Crawl website. Uh, the link is in the bottom of the show notes in case you are a Marriott or mostly, this is, again, a Sheraton before Marriott bought them. So, if you were a, an old Sheraton user, uh, hotel chains, then, yeah, go go sign up for free and get your uh, stuff monitored in the dark web. Oh, yeah. So, uh, that's enough with the breaches, okay? That's uh, all of our... Um, discussions on uh, worthy news items. So on to our next topic. Okay, so we have some cheat sheets on malware archaeology. Yeah, the, this is... Anything new? Yeah, there, there's a bit something new. We'll hold off on telling you what's new. And in regards to this podcast, uh, because we are the guests, because we're going to talk about the new cheat sheets that are out there that are specific to attack. And so, yes, that's the site of the week, uh, of the podcast of the week, of the month, actually. We record once a month. So, 
Oh, nice. And that's in conjunction with attack.miter.org. Yes, that would be the other site. So, yeah, of course, this is a related subject to the previous podcast. So, check out what's going on there. And we'll mention a new item when we get down to the topic. And next. Okay. So, you've been playing around with the tool as far as, well, this is this is a free tool available online. It, it is. Um, right. We'll put the link to the show notes with it. Um, the point, the reason we're bringing this up now is kind of a teaser. Uh, but if you're not familiar with Kanza uh, or Kanza, not to be confused with Kansas, but however you want to say it, uh, a project that started a few years back, it's a PowerShell-based scripting incident response solution. Uh, it originally designed to allow you to use Windows RM remote management in your environment to push a, a series of PowerShell scripts, which are called uh, modules, and through a central module, you select the ones you want, select the ones you don't want. You can push it out to any machine you want in your environment that's WinRM enabled, and it will run these PowerShell scripts and return back results. Uh, it hasn't been maintained by the original uh, designer. He's in competition now with these things, working for a vendor, but it's still fairly widely used. And so check those out. And the reason this fits with attack is if I want to go look for a certain thing on a box, uh, Windows base, Windows RM, and I can make a PowerShell script for it, then Kanza becomes a way I can reach out and scan all my machines for that thing, whether it's enabling of SMB1 or whatever it is you're looking for, and you can write a PowerShell script for it. Kanza might be a remote tool you can use without a massive infrastructure of SSCM, BigFix, or, or Tanium or anything like that. So it's worth mentioning. And uh, it links to the fact that we've been doing some work. We are going to be releasing uh, LogMD Kanza. This is a actual improvement to the base Kanza script, and we have all the modules for LogMD now integrated into that, and we'll be releasing those with the for the uh, LogMD Pro users, and there'll be a little tidbit for the uh, free users as well. And you'll be able to find that at log-md.com when we uh, finally release that soon, and we'll have a podcast that will cover this in, in more depth. So basically, it's a remote access tool that you can run LogMD with, right? Correct. Or you can control certain things about LogMD remotely. Correct. So if I want to run an auto runs check across my organization, I can, um, which is a definitely a feature of the attack matrix, which we'll uh, be discussing here in a, in a minute. Um, and so you have the ability to check for some of these things using this tool. You can also do with our improvements, you can do any binary. So if you have another tool you want to use, um, the improvements allow you to run a binary locally. If it drops a text file or CSV, suck that back with the improvements that have been made. So it becomes more useful than the original version that's currently out on GitHub. Gotcha. It new and improved Kanza, basically. Yes. So, let's talk about malware. Ooh, malware. So, yeah. We've been seeing a lot of Emitted over the over the course of the months. I mean, it's pretty it's a pretty wide range thing, but we got a Loki bot sample and and at first it's like, well, this is kind of lame, right? It used it used an MSI, so a Microsoft installer to infect the machine. Now, the reason that's kind of lame is it's obvious to the user. A little window, installer window pops up and says, hey, click on me to install. And of course, you know, we make the assumption users will just click because they just want to move on and work. And when you do click this thing, it just magically goes away. And at that point, boom, your box is infected. The MSI is interesting because one, it's a GUI. So most malware we see doesn't really interact with the users too much unless you're launching Word and it tells you to enable content. You uh, have to agree on clicking on the MSI. Now, the funny thing is you can launch an MSI in quiet mode. So maybe there's an iteration of that. 
Um, I'm guessing also that MSI, because it is a Microsoft sign, MSI exec is Microsoft sign that this might be a way to get around application whitelisting. Someone would have to confirm that with us because uh, we didn't test for that. It, it just disappears after installs. So the user just goes, okay, I guess, uh, you know, IT passed an update or something. I don't know. And the, the interesting thing, because it is using MSI exec, is the installer will extract stuff to the C Windows installer directory because it's part of the MSI feature set, which means you're kind of in admin space at that point if you're an admin. And it places the final payload in C users, and we'll call them Bob, app data roaming with a with a name of a directory. In this case, it was like Android, Android something, um, where it put it. But I suspect that directory will change. It attributed the directory, so it it hit it, made it, made it plus S, plus H, so system hidden. And it also attributed the file. So if you were just using Explorer, you would not see that. You have to go to command line and do a slash a to be able to see the payloads so um, you know check your check your stuff for what's attributed what's normally attributed or not uh, that's you know that's probably an indication of, of something uh, nefarious when you know stuff that's good and new is not normally hidden from you the original ms you know xyz.temp file is loaded into memory so it when the msi exec runs the thing it loads this temp file that was actually in memory uh, it was then copied to disk in this hidden directory location but was not launched so what was running in the malware that was phoning out to the C2 was the .tmp file. So again, that's unusual. And the fact that a .tmp file is in the Windows Firewall log talking out to, I think, Australia in one case and some other foreign country in another case is also um, not normal because why would a temp file be phoning out to uh, anything other than really Microsoft or the vendor? Probably shouldn't even be doing that. And the other cool part is uh, it was running in memory. So if you did a running process check, by the way, new feature of LogMD version 2.2, uh, you can see it running there. Um, you know, Process Explorer also, or even just Task Manager showed that it was running. And so why is this MS whatever, whatever, whatever dot temp file running? And the fact that uh, it was deleted from the installer directory as part of cleanup because it got moved to that roaming directory, uh, it could not be hashed. So that was an error that, that showed up in our logmd result as well. Um, what's this MS temp file doing? Loaded, still loaded, because in theory it should be terminated. And I can't hash it because it's no longer there. Um, is always a, a feature to, to uh, go investigate for sure. Now, as I recall, this was signed, but it wasn't a valid signature. Correct. Yeah, it, it was signed, so that was kind of a surprise, but then realized that it was uh, non-verifiable. Yeah, I think they're using this as application whitelisting bypass capable, and and so that was a bit surprised. But again, if they're using MSI, they're compiling this as an MSI installer that, yeah, there's, you know, uh, potentially the, the ability to sign this stuff pretty easily, which was kind of a shock. Now, we commonly get MSI attachments in email, right? So there's nothing you can do about that. You can block them. Um, I would definitely recommend this lesson learned. Uh, we, we've talked about this in the past. What attachments should you block coming in an email? A MSIs. There's no reason somebody should be mailing you an MSI. They should be doing a, a secure delivery of it if it's a vendor um, you know, encrypting it with the password. You should be interacting with them because you know it's coming because it is a dangerous payload. It installs something via installer mechanisms of Windows onto your system. So definitely block this as email attachments. Add it to your list. No .msi. But if it's received as a link, that's a bit more of a challenge, right? Because the user clicks on the link. Your proxies in Thread Intel don't know about the link yet because it's a brand new Drupal uh, WordPress of the month compromise. So they're taking over a, a well-known uh, acceptable website and they uh, have you download it from there. So that's a bit more of a challenge. Um, and and I think that's that's where your your biggest stuff is, right? Getting getting by your email server, just send a link. If your proxy doesn't catch it, then the user will download it, and now you have to look at executions. And the interesting thing in the results was you see MSI exec installing. 
And a lot of analysts, I think, would just say, oh, that's just an installer. Um, so you have to be real careful about what exactly did it do? Look at the data. and The data did speak to us in that aspect that it was fishy. You mentioned that check your running processes for items that are no longer on disk. So what you're saying is that if I have a process that's running currently and it's not on disk, that's always bad. I've never seen a good case of it ever. Um, every malware infection that does something like that, right? This is a. This is also not necessarily the word, and parentless is another piece of this because uh, the MSI installer terminated and the temp file that was launched by it is still running. Um, yeah, for a minute or two, that would be a normal case if it was a valid thing. But if it's long-term, yeah, no, that's bad. Um, I tell people as well, focus on parentless processes, right? When you open Windows and you log in, Explorer's the interface you're using. And if you open Notepad, the parent of Notepad is Explorer. If you load a binary by double-clipping, however it launches, and then that binary loads another binary and terminates the dropper, let's say, uh, that binary now is parentless. If that binary then opens, let's say, Notepad and terminates, then Notepad is parentless. You know, parentless things are, are definitely uh, fishy to look for. And so the running processes uh, sometimes can, can show you that. Uh, in regards to investigations. So this case had both. It was running. We tried to hash it. You couldn't hash it because it's no longer on disk. That's bad. And it was also parentless. So it had two two things in it that was very obvious to us that it was uh, not cool. And this parentless thing, I think about it as a, a you know, you if you cut down the trunk of a tree, the whole tree should fall. Right. Correct. Except with malware, then you've got this limb just floating there in, in midair. Yeah. Right. That's what, that's kind of what it's like. Yeah. It's, it breaks the rules. That is what it's like. Uh, the interesting part, because they did not execute what got dropped into the roaming directory is that there was no indication of that execution. So this is where, because we tell people this is where file auditing and registry auditing become really handy is that, um, that writing of that file was caught in the 4663 events because we monitor that directory on our labs. And so we could see the writing of that file and, and the process was this temp file process. So um, that's that's an example where uh, how did you find this uh, tribbed file in roaming? It didn't execute, at least not yet. And so uh, it turns out our file auditing uh, monitoring caught that. So this is a, a why file auditing in a, in a new infection becomes very, very valuable. Okay. Now what we've all been waiting for, the topic of the day, MITRE ATT&CK. Torah, 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 part two. Let's go. All right. So articles are at the end of the show notes, so be sure to, to look at those. Uh, we do have a couple ones from Endgame, so take a read of that. Um, if we come across more between now and the next day or two that we post this, we'll put them out there. We'll have a link also to part one as well, so it's easy for you to go back and listen. Also worth mentioning is Miner just released attack evaluations. This is a new effort by them where a, uh, Miner acts as the adversary and runs uh, attacks against a series of participating uh, vendors, basically EDR providers, and they then rate what was picked up based on what they attacked, and they put it together in a in a matrix. Um, so take a look at that. We'll probably have a future podcast on that. Um, I'm struggling a little bit to feel how that's consumable uh, in regards to the listeners and ourselves. Um, but it's more so, I, I think this helps the vendors more so than anybody else, but the ability to look at these side by side 
to to be able to understand, well, I'm really interested in detecting this kind of thing because I see this a lot. You may, if you saw them side by side, eliminate a couple of vendors because they don't do, let's say, a memory dump detection or whatever the item is. Um, and so I think there needs to be a different way of looking at the data so it's more useful to us as the consumers than it is to the item. But this is designed, this was APT3, designed specifically to say, here's the attacks of APT3 we launched, and here's of the vendors that participated, what they caught. And, that, and that's pretty much the extent of it. But go take a read of it. There's going to be a lot more of these uh, attack evaluations occurring, and they'll be publicly available for you to look at. And it may help you understand your product, or if you're looking for an, a, a new product, it might help you there if they uh, clean up the data or you redo it. Matter of fact, someone told me they actually exported the data because um, it's available in JSON, and then they resorted it to create exactly the comparison I'm talking about. So I think they should just do that automatically. Yeah, and it also gives you an overview of how, uh, from the other point of view, how this malware works, right, in the, in the form of how it attacks and gains persistence and all that stuff, right? Uh, command and control, things like that. It's a good overview. If you if you don't know that much about malware, you can go and, and look at these evaluations and see what exactly the attackers are, are trying to accomplish here and how they're successful at it. Yeah, and keep in mind, they're only testing what APT3 does. So if APT3 doesn't do uh, DLL sideloading or... Uh, a running, a parentless mm -hmm. running process. They're not checking for that. They were specifically, you know, crafted an attack method specifically for the items that are highlighted on that matrix when you go look at it. Um, there's a lot of blanks. So beware that they're only testing the things that were colored and who picked up on. All right. So let's take a step back from part one, which was a kind of an overview of what attack is. Now, let's say I heard about attack, but I, I haven't had time to, to really dig into it and I don't know what it's going to do for me. Why is attack useful? The way I look at attack and the way it struck me was um, I had been promoting this concept I call malware management. You can go to you can go to malwaremanagementframework.org and you can download this this explanation of treating malware very similar to vulnerabilities. So I tell people, hey, you know what vulnerability management is? Uh, yeah, well, malware management is the same thing, which is why I called it malware management. Is The difference is we don't look at the reports of bugs that come out. We look at these these reports of APT3, since we just mentioned that for the, for the evaluation. We look at these reports and we go through them and we say, ooh, that's an interesting artifact. Can I detect that in some way with some tool I have? And then you can read other malware reports or virus reports or your own evaluations of what you actually receive in email and or web or what you investigate. I think that's very important. What you receive is much different than what we receive, which is much different than Bob receives, depending on the types of campaigns, right? So malware management says, take, these, take this data that you can read about the various attacks and build defenses or detections for those items. Hey, this thing constantly writes to uh, app data uh, app data directory structure of a user, and I'm seeing this in like every commodity attack. Hmm, here's a thought. Let's turn on file auditing for the app data user directory structure. And when they drop files there, even if the AV picks up, let's say, on you know a week later, two weeks later, whatever, same day, picks up on the binary, there may be keystroke logging files in there. And you can go find these by the fact that you got these 4663 file creation events and find the artifacts and say, hmm, is there some way I can detect this? And you got to Look at it from that perspective is the whole purpose here is to try to take what the adversaries are actually doing, translating that into what tools you have or don't have, 
therefore creating uh, potential budget requests or replacement of tools, and and deciding uh, what you can detect, what you can't detect, and try to get better at what you can detect and identify your gaps so you can potentially get product. Uh, it's one of the reasons we went through that uh, EDR evaluation that uh, we'd been talked about other podcasts was we had some gaps. All right, we had IDS, IPS in the corporate environment, but when all the laptops went off site, we kind of had a gap there, right? And that thus we we thought EDR might be of help. That's the idea behind the malware management framework. Attack is very similar. They've actually taken Miter's taken all these attacks details of APT three, etc., 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 and they've mapped them to tactics and techniques, and then they mention what specific types of uh, APT it was or groups or whatever the tool was that was used. And they've created this huge matrix of saying, here's all the things we see that have been done in the last several years. And so do you have a way to detect or prevent this? And so you're taking this information and saying, all right, let's look at all this and say, I've got AV. All right, let's go through the matrix and say, what does AV cover here? And is there a gap? If it does have a coverage, is there a gap? Yeah, AV's big gap is it's hours to days behind. So, therefore, if something successfully detonates and sits there, AV may get around to having a signature because it was commodity and eventually find and trigger it. But it's been there for an hour, a day, a week, or two weeks, or months, right? So, um, I have a gap. And you go through this with all your stuff. I have a proxy server. I have an email gateway. All right? Am I blocking MSIs? Oh, I can see these tactics are they're using email payloads. All right. Do I have a way to block email payloads when I decide... You know, when I decide that I need to block this thing because they're they're changing their their mechanism, and you you use it for that purpose more than anything. Vendors are going to use it differently, but those of us that are defenders and incident response uh, and hunters, uh, the attack matrix becomes the thing that you're defending against. Looking at your tools and capabilities, the thing we hunt for, meaning I'm going to go out and look for um, to see if auto runs exist anywhere because I can, and it's a it's definitely an item in the attack matrix. And eliminate I don't have any any malicious auto runs, right? WMI I'm going to go look at the WMI database. Uh, payloads hidden in the registry I'm going to go look for that, right? These are all features of LogMD, but these are the things you can do. And then you can map them and highlight them and color them and show your management, hey, we've got great coverage here, but we have huge gaps here. Think of it as almost having a pen test, but um, not actually running tools against yourself. Uh, You deciding whether or not you could detect that technique. And if you decide you can, then you can tell your pen tester, "I I want you to go test for this and this and this and this and this. So they can test whether or not you can detect and or prevent these areas. Um, same thing Caldera as a tool does, right? That MITRE uh, offers. So you kind of don't need a pen test if you know you've got gaps in certain areas. This this MITRE attack sort of, it's malware management framework on steroids because you really don't have to read all the articles and and come up with new boxes. All the boxes are already there for you. You just have to make sure you can check those boxes and say, yes, I can detect this type of attack, things like that. It's it's almost like, well, I'm not just defending against one type of attack. I can actually change my systems to where I can potentially defend against or or detect all attack, right? Because it's pretty comprehensive. It is. A lot of attacks and their, and their mechanisms overlap. In the malware discovery class that I teach, there is a malware management section. And the whole purpose there is a spreadsheet I give the people. And I say, now go, let's go read these three reports, which is generally kind of looking at the attack matrix now, um, which I'll have to integrate into the training. But 
you'll find a commonality. Like, for example, commodity malware uses the C user space, whether it's HK current user key, whether it's a C user directory. And so there's this commonality amongst all these attacks. Um, an example would be uh, lateral movement with local administrative accounts. Well, when the bad guys get in, they're going to try to get a local admin account or a local account on a system and try that across the board because a lot of people monitor Active Directory accounts, but don't monitor what's happening on the local workstation, which have administrative accounts. If they can crack one of those, they're generally the same across most environments. And so your solution may be, hey, look, this is a mechanism. We can cure this by installing LAPS, right? The uh, local administrator password solution, whatever that stands for from Microsoft. And so now every workstation has a different password for administrator accounts. And now when the bad guy gets in, pops that one machine and always assume they're going to get one machine. Uh, where where do they get stopped? Can you stop them right there in those tracks? Will they generate a lot of noise trying to move laterally because you've changed the admin accounts? You've turned off SMB 1.0. And so suddenly they're generating noise uh, by triggering events or and or defense scenarios or event logs because they're trying to move laterally and you've chopped that off by, by following the attack matrix. Right. They've got account creds. Now they're trying to use them and they can't. And they can't. So you get a bunch of failed logins, right? A lot of 4625s. And so now you can check for that. When 4625 is greater than three on administrator, uh, that's always bad, right? Who the heck is trying to use the administrator account? Yeah. So if you weren't using LAPS, they would have a lot of successful admin logins. Yeah. And that could be normal in your environment. It could. But failed, hundreds of failed ones. Yeah, yeah, not so much. So that's an example of, you know, why it's useful and how you can go about starting to use it. You will self-assess yourself. You can pay a consultancy to come in and do it. There are people that do these now. And so that that's an example of how attack applies. It's very similar to malware management. So go read malware management framework. I'll add that to the show notes as well um, so you can get an idea where this came from. And this was developed... Um, as I was building defenses when I was in gaming is like, okay, where do I start? And one of my things in my reading, you know, I have an iPad, so I read on, uh, on Feedly. It used to be the Google solution that got discontinued. And I see these reports come up and I read through Mandiant reports were a really good source uh, early in the day and, and say, wow, this is a really good artifact to look for. I see this a lot. And so then you go and you try to set up your, you know, your, your logging alerts or your, or your tools to say, can I look or see that condition? I may not be able to prevent it. Remember, it's not just about preventing things. If you think there's a prevention for everything, uh, you're right. Grind up your PC, uh, melt it down, put it inside glass, and drop it off the you know the Mariana Trench. That's the only way you can prevent everything. And of course, I'm plugging the internet, and and so the idea here is uh, what I can't prevent, or what I or my prevention tool will fail. They all do, right? E- application whitelisting. It's it's all the rage. But look at all the bypasses there are now. I think there's over forty. Um, you want to detect when these things occur, and that's what we're trying to trying to get a point here. Some things can be preventable, like EDR. Some things you should also detect for a combination, like it's uh, trust but verify. All right. So how about the cheat sheets, right? You said we were going to talk about that later. Yep, cheat sheets. So we have uh, have had out there probably for six years now. The Windows logging cheat sheet uh, was the original one based on uh, the data that I got out of uh, fighting the Chinese in the gaming industry of, hey, they got into our systems and triggered these things. And so the cheat sheet's designed to turn this stuff on so that you have a chance of collecting it uh, in log management if you if you had that. Um, that was the purpose behind them. They've expanded. There's now Windows Advanced Logging Cheat Sheet, PowerShell Logging Cheat Sheet, which, by the way, is mentioned in the attack uh, miter matrix. So um, even they recognize these resources. And it, it dawned on me that uh, we could probably take what, 
attack is looking at from an attack perspective, because we've done all this pre-work, and say, could we map what we do and recommend with Windows logging? And then, of course, we have LogMD as well. There's Sysmon. Um, you know, there's various other tools that are pretty commonly used. Can we map what that could detect across the matrix? And I was just kind of curious at first when I did this, thinking, ah, it's probably going to have some pretty ginormous holes. And then I completed it. And then I said, I got to go through it again because I was shocked that the coverage was almost 80%. Now, obviously, things like logs are not going to deal with SMTP gateways and web proxies and whatnot, even though they have logs. We're talking about Windows Core here, so uh, what I can see from a Windows host perspective. And I was really dumbfounded at, at how many event IDs and a little bit of addition sprinkling of Sysmon for DLL uh, monitoring and uh, several features of LogMD and how much coverage we got. Um, I spent a better part of a couple of months getting these cheat sheets created, and then uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to uh, the SANS uh Third threat hunting incident response talk I did in New Orleans, where I I, I mentioned this and announced these two cheat sheets, uh, which turned out to be a very heavy miter attack uh, conference. Which uh, no idea that that's what it would go. And since I was like second up talking, I that was a real surprise to me. I got to go first, so then I sat there and listened to all these other miter talks or miter mentions. And I was like, okay, this is a big deal. I don't even know if that was planned. I don't think it was. It might have been when they saw all the submissions and they said, wow, look at this, and we better do this. Uh, the idea here is to release this information to you to say, look. Um, this is further proof that logging is really good for you in regards to detection. Obviously, logging can't prevent. Uh, I suppose it could if you, in your log management, kicked off a Python script and auto-changed Windows firewall logs. Um, that's totally doable, by the way. Uh, but for the most part, it's designed to say, hey, if you go collect these things in Windows logs, you have the potential of detecting these items. And that's what the Windows logging attack cheat sheets for. Uh, Windows attack logging cheat sheet, sorry. And in there, they're color-coded. The simple idea there is, you know, get simple with it. Uh, green, yellow, and I don't have anything, right? So it's gray. And decide what you can and can't do. And so we mapped through their their data sources, what they're called within the, the data. I had to actually use the PowerShell stuff to suck it down. Thanks to uh, Roberto Rodriguez, he created a PowerShell script that lets you query the API. And then I had to break that data source. It was one big blob into 12, 11 blobs, 12 blobs. So I could put each data source as a uh, individual column, meaning 4688 is one column, 4663 is another column, etc. And then I gave names to these. I translated the name where they said monitor for process execution. Execution, right? Obviously, AV could do this, EDR could do this, but Windows Logging can do this with a 4688 or Sysmon yep. 1. So I mapped all these out slowly but surely, and then I had to go through it again because I was like, oh, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. And, and so simplifying it by saying, this is just Windows built in, and, you know, because we do other stuff. So I'm like, yeah, but not everybody has the other stuff. So let's just look at it from a Windows perspective. And you're going to be surprised. And, and this is, again, my opinion. I've already received an email saying, what about this? What about this? What about this? We will be updating the cheat sheets with those emails I got that this is if you do this well I turned it green meaning I got pretty good coverage okay uh, on this item if it if it's like yeah I think it's okay coverage I made them yellow and if I didn't think there was any coverage then they're gray meaning and you know, I can't monitor APIs with Windows logs not not an option right I can't, I can't do data loss prevention with Windows logs it's not an option and so I color coded this stuff and and I, I I was just dumbfounded at the coverage that you can actually do pretty dang well by just doing really good Windows logging. And that's where the, the Windows attack logging cheat sheet came from. Now, a long time ago, you were saying to everyone, 
hey, the best thing you could do to stop these attacks is log really, really well. And you didn't get that much adoption to that, right? Uh, people were like, oh, he's just a logaholic. <laughs> and this, this attack cheat sheet comes out or this attack matrix comes out. And the moment you start mapping this stuff, it's like, you know what? I don't even like check my math here, right? And it's almost, I hate to use the word, but it's somewhere close to vindication now that Windows logging is like the number one thing you can do to help prevent these attacks or help detect them, right? It, because even when, okay, I've already been breached, let's go to forensics mode. All the data is there in the logs too. So your forensics takes a quarter of the time if you have to use it. Yeah, there's, there's a huge advantage of having this data. It helps focus forensics. It helps focus incident response. Um, there's nothing worse than saying this box is compromised and you go look at the logs and, of course, they're default windows and they're off and you're like, oh, boy. You know, it immediately tells you you have to go into forensics mode, which is, again, time-consuming. Uh, you know, I look at, at you know, tr the whole point of if you look at a mash unit and you know when you used to watch mash as a tv show you know you know they do this triage in the field where the soldiers get hurt to generally keep them from bleeding out or dying and then they get shipped off to a hospital right so those of us that do ir or detection response we have to respond very quickly we generally don't have a lot of time we know our industry is lacking resources so we have to get better with less time with not the best of tools right and so this is a free thing. Every Windows box has logging. You just have to enable it. Now you just need a way to go collect it. If you want to go above collection, then you're getting into log management where you can centralize it and do reports and alerts. Um, in a lot of ways, this really indicated, from my perspective, uh, that logging is is way more valuable than I ever thought. There's no prevention here, right? Uh, the re prevention is detect and respond quickly. If you respond correctly by reimaging the machine or turn, flipping a switch, you know, switch a setting or rolling something out fast or whatever, um, that's the prevention that will end up happening is your response, right? And then I, you know, I want to say I'm, I'm going to draw a blank on who's scenario, but uh, uh, Win Schwartel, I believe, came out with the time-based security. And it's very it's very true when you're doing detection response. The quicker you can respond to something, the better detection and better prevention and, and, and uh, remediation you will have. So, um, again, we're trying to speed up the ability to detect something going on so you can respond uh, the best you possibly can. And, and the logging really helps there. Definitely catches things that tools will miss, for sure. Catches things that tools will miss. Yeah. So when uh, the WinNTI group hit us in gaming, uh, we had all kinds of things. We had an IPS. We had uh, we, we had a file integrity FIM solution. We had AV. Um, and it turned out the thing that caught the attack was the Windows logging because they executed in the course of laterally moving across the environment and pushing their malware, they executed processes, they executed admin utilities, and we'd created alerts from the malware management. Again, that was based on several reports of what the IR firms had caught on these other kinds of attacks of things. And I said, you know, well, let's start there. Let's just count how many admin utilities get executed in an hour. And, you know, and a Windows admin, generally IT guy, will do one, two, three, I'm going to ping, I'm going to do a net use. The bad guys will execute a dozen of these things. And so if you just kind of trigger on admin utilities and the count that they that they do, um, that's what we caught the attack with, right? So it got by the FIM solution because a lot of FIMs, if you drop a file, detonate a file, delete a file within a few seconds, uh, the FIMs never detect them. 
because Windows is so noisy naturally anyway, they had to put a time gap in there and, and again, time-based security and, and keep overwhelming their, their products. And so this is how they got by. They didn't trigger IPS because there, there are no signatures for what they're doing. A lot of this behavior is normal. The logging really helped us alert. Matter of fact, in, in several cases, it was the only alert. That or our, our, our uh, love of Big Fix and having uh, crafted uh, queries for Big Fix that would alert us as well. Even these canaries that, that are nice, juicy honeypots for inside your network? Yeah, we, we put up a couple of honeypots hoping they would trigger some, and yeah, they did not. They knew our environment well enough to stay away from any new boxes, I suppose. Let's talk about the attack matrix as it is. Uh, it can be used as a political tool. And by that, I mean... Uh, your your boss will tell you, well, you know, yeah, you want this solution, but you got you got to prove to me that this is going to be valuable here. Why should I spend all this money on something that y- you haven't really given me any uh, any data, right? Right, to show that we actually need this, and then it's going to help us in these ways. I think everybody listening to this, and hey, I used to work for HP, so I used to do a lot of this. Is we'd go in and assess companies. And the assess companies is basically, you know, 20 or 200 or 2000 questions, right? Play 20 questions with the, with the client and you'll ask them, do you have antivirus, right? And audits the same way when an auditor comes in, Hey, do you have antivirus? Yes. Check. Do you have, um, and so you get these things, you know, we call them self-assessments from vendors. Uh, I provide products to a bigger company. They send me a questionnaire that I have to fill out that says, you know, describe your remote access, describe your, you know, your malicious prevention. And, and some of us, uh, mapped this stuff to ISO 27000, this state 153, the bits, financial stuff, whatever it was mapped to. And we filled these things out. They A, lacked context and B, lacked proof. Because uh, an auditor asks you, do you have AV? Yep, we're good. They don't actually say, do you have AV? Do you do on-demand scans? Do you also do weekly scans? Can you prove that to me? Is the log events that are in the dashboard of the AV console meaningful to you? Meaning you've gotten rid of the false positives of the things. For example, uh, AV often triggers an SSCM going off. And so if you don't remark that out, it fills up your logs. You got this noise and you really can't see the data within the console of an, of an actual event, right? And so you've got to manage this environment. And they don't go through that to say, oh, you're doing a good job with this, right? They're not going to that depth. The, yeah. the attack matrix, because it's broken out in so many categories, and it's 180 plus categories. I mean, it's, it's huge. Um, you can now look at this and self-assess yourself with a bit more of a granular uh, focus on it. You can say, um, you know, I'll, I'll read one to you. The technique name is audio capture. Well, the I- idea here is this is where people are listening to your microphone. So how would I go across knowing that there was some binary running. I don't necessarily know that it's capturing audio, but that there's some new binary on the box, some process that executed that I've never seen before. How do I go about looking for that, right? Process execution, 4688 would see binary.exe, right? Listener.exe and eavesdropper.exe. And you would see that show up in a log event. And because you know it normally runs in your environment, you'd filter that out. Or you'd see some DLL sideload that they used to 
compromise an existing audio device. So if you're using Sysmon, an ID7 would catch this weird unsigned DLL. You could look for files being dropped in the box, right? So now you can kind of look at it in more detail saying, okay, I'm going to self-assess myself for the technique name of audio capture. You can read the description in the attack matrix, figure out what they mean by that. And then they give you the idea that, you know, hey, here's some potential uh, detections for it. Watch for, watch for odd process executions. And then you convert that to things you have. So now when someone says, hey, can you, can you look for clipboard data? Nah, that's an API call. I really can't do that. I'm going to need a solution for that, right? Or if someone says, I want uh, data from a shared drive. Oh, I can definitely do that. I've got 5140s and 5145s enabled. So when people connect from one PC to another PC, another lateral movement scenario, then Bob's PC all of a sudden is talking to 100 PCs in the environment. That's never good. Um, I can look for that with a 5140 and, and 5145 and even the, the Windows firewall logs as well, 5156. I can look for file monitoring. I can see that this guy's touching or grabbing or creating a bunch of files. I can see that some weird binary is doing it. So suddenly you can answer yourself to a fairly decent detail level that will allow you to answer any of these questionnaires that ever are given to you. And you can map how good, how good you think you are. You got to be honest, you know, and if you don't know, then say, I don't know and say, Hey, I've done this, but I really like a consultant to come verify what this means. And you can bring a consultant in here and they'll do the, the, 20 questions and explain or expand on it for you. Um, but it's real valuable in that aspect because there's more context with attack, uh, especially using something like the cheat sheets. And again, we've mapped windows logging and, and logmd and sysmon to it, but you can map EDR, which the evaluations were intended to do. You can map any of the solutions you have for security to this, to find the gaps. And, and then you just have to answer to yourself, is this a good solution yeah, I've got SMTV gateway. It can block attachments, but I'm not blocking attachments. Then it should be yellow, right? If you if you really need something like two-factor on, on authentication, you should mark that red if you don't have it, right? Because that's like, oh, this is this is a big one. They get in, you know, we hear this about ransomware all the time. They get in via remote access. So if you if you have a VPN and you're not doing two-factor, you should mark that red. And if you're that honest, it will paint you a picture of your environment unlike anything I've ever done with ISO, NIST, any self-assessment, any questionnaire I've ever been given by a bigger company that says, do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? This thing far exceeds any of those things I've ever seen in my career, which is why I hooked onto it and then went through this effort. Wow. So basically, if you are if you don't know much about the attack matrix, you haven't looked at it yet, and you're not using it to your advantage, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. I think everything's going to be – you're going to see this come up in every aspect um, I believe it's going to be kind of a requirement when you talk to a vendor. Can I see your attack matrix uh, monitoring? I have asked several vendors if they've heard this from customers, and the answer is yes. They've heard it from customers. The answer is no. They don't have anything yet. So uh, our requests are actually driving the vendors to fill this out. And again, if you're trying to fulfill a proxy ser- server solution or a SMT gateway solution, uh, email fancy email solution, This is really valuable because in a year or two, if you ask a vendor if they've done this and they say no, they don't have a clue. Now, if they, if you ask three or four or five of the big vendors and they've done this, you can compare what they think they've done. And also you can test against that. Do I have a way I can test this in an evaluation, much like we did with our EDR stuff? And then you can actually evaluate whether this product's going to do you any good or whether the weaknesses or the gaps that the product has, whether that really matters to you. Maybe your layers make one feature right. in the product not as important. So yeah, if you're building a security program, you need to take the attack matrix and say you need 
three different solutions or you got a budget of so and so many dollars, you go to the different vendors, give me your attack matrix, and then you can layer them together and look at your coverage and mix and match different tools to have maximum coverage under your budget. Correct. Which means it's a political tool. I now can help map what budget we need. I can help justify it because this is, a again, an organization. I've mapped my capabilities to it. I've shared it with my manager, the directors. This can be prevented, uh, presented to CISOs, to executives, the, to the CXOs, and say, here's where we sit. Um, these attacks, we are in this industry. We know these these attackers hit this industry. We have these gaps. We need this budget. Uh, please give us budget for this to close these gaps. And then you don't have to go jump off the Marionic Trench. Yeah, then you don't have to grind your PCs up and, yeah, as uh, I guess Dell and Marriott, sure, <laughs> all those guys are doing right now in that big list of a billion accounts. Over one billion served. And so, yeah, it really becomes a very across-the-board useful tool, not only in evaluating vendors, whether the vendors have gone to the exercise of looking at this. You know, a lot of ways, if you're talking to salespeople, ask them the question. If they don't know, tell them to go check it out um, because the salespeople should be looking at this and understanding this is this is kind of where security yeah. is is focusing right now hunting tools you can you can hunt for this stuff uh, pen testing tools right whether they're automated pen testing tools or a pen tester uh, should be providing you reports back saying you failed these areas that are in the attack matrix you need to improve this um, it really creates a common language that we've never really had in our industry before that's really very useful for whatever security or IT technology you have. Right. Much love there. I, I think that just about does it for attack matrix, at least for 2018, you know, BDIR. Yeah, I think uh, we'll we'll probably visit the evaluation stuff after our, I think we understand that a little more. There's only one APT. Uh, that's been talked about, but, um, but yeah, it's something to look, uh, check out our attack, matrix uh cheat sheets because again if you're if you want to do good logging um matter of fact just got an email uh yesterday about uh, some assistance and advice for for logging of course i'm going to be generally telling this person to go read these and do this right because they have logging it's very extensive apparently they've not done it for security uh where do i start <laughs> you know ben uh the cheat sheets are where you start turn turn on what's in the first one and the second one and then go map what the attack cheat sheets tell you and then uh, fill the gaps with uh, LogMD, Sysmon, whatever else you, you might come up with. And then, you know, again, communicate or bring this into your one-on-ones with your managers and your supervisors and your CISOs and talk to them about this, saying we need to really take this seriously. Um, this is a political tool for them to get budget, right? Not just for you as, as a person, right. but for them. Help them help you be successful or help help them help yeah <laughs> help them be successful because it'll help you if they get budget um <laughs> you know this is this is something that it's uh, definitely usable uh, consultancies will definitely speak the language uh, pen tests become more effective anything you do in security can can really uh can really focus here and i think this takes iso 27000 in a generic sense to a more detailed sense um, it takes, uh, you know, uh, NIST 853 and all the controls are in there into a more practical sense because this is actually what the bad guys have been caught doing to you. And the surprisingly overlap between all the attack uh, actors and the types of attacks and tools that are out there when they mention the tools, PowerSploit, et cetera, Metasploit, um, have a lot of overlap. So as you close these holes, you're, you're addressing multiple tools that are used. You're addressing multiple types of malware. I mean, just 4663 will catch uh, commodity malware drops uh, 
you know, if you just watch for EXEs, uh, binaries that, that are dropped in the C user directory, filter out what you know is good, uh, it's not very noisy, right? And so that's 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 a big win there if you just monitor for that. And this would hit a lot of areas in tank. So yeah, it's uh, it's useful across the board. Take a look at it, um, love it, learn it, practice it at home, practice it on your organization. Send us your comments if you think there's some things that you found that should be mapped. Uh, we've gotten one of those already. Um, and, and we'll take a look at it and add it. This was the first pass. We'll definitely be improving this. Um, they will be adding more uh, technique names and also coming as sub-technique names because there's like, whoa, Big Ding says I have an update. Thanks for letting me know that and interrupting the podcast. Yeah, or it's the same one. Don't know. But yeah, you know, uh, monitor it. There, this idea of sub-attacks, right? There's several ways to dump credentials. And so the way Mimikatz works is different than a keystroke logger. And can you detect either? Mimikatz is definitely a loggable item. Keystroke logger, not so much because it's directly tied to the binary. And so they're going to be coming out with these sub categories to help us further refine this. Um, and I think that's going to be really valuable to help us understand our gaps and, and buy better tools and for vendors to improve their tools. I am seeing that, which is really a good thing. Well, how'd you, how do you guys in, improve your tool? I, I, Brian and I, people ask us this all the time. How do you improve LogMD? <laughs> Read the attack matrix is really a good one, right? We actually watch what malware does and say, huh, um, um, we, we, we don't look for that. We probably should. It's something we can do. So yes, ven- yep. vendors are definitely improving as well. It's, it's a really all around win for our industry. Yeah. It's eye opening. And, and also when you're evaluating malware, you're like, Oh geez, you know, I heard of this, but wow, this is really cool. We need to do something about this because this is something that's going to happen more often in the future. Oh yeah. Oh, here's another one. Resume enhancement. If you're interviewing with Brian or I, and you have some articulated manner about the attack matrix, you have a better chance of getting hired over a similar scenario where the guy goes, I don't know what attack is. Attack's been around for over a year now. Um, you really should have that on your resume if you've practiced it. You either A, have to articulate you know about it and what it's good for. You can say, I haven't done anything with it. That's a plus. Um, saying, I'd, I've never heard of it. Or I haven't done anything with it. That's not good. We're more going to lean towards somebody who understands that because you're keeping up with how we're the leading, not bleeding, but leading edge of our industry is. And this is definitely leading edge. And so um, this is a great resume enhancement or interview topic for those looking for jobs. You'll have a much a bigger chance of getting hired because companies will start looking for these resources to help them map their stuff to attack. I definitely see that coming. So there's, there's your uh, career improvement that wasn't in our little notes here, but we should probably put that in there. <laughs> uh, and, and on the political aspects too, if you help your manager make his team better, then that helps you as well. Yeah. Try to articulate your capabilities to affirm you're working for in a review or want to work for. How is it you saved uh, a company money? How is it you can save a company money? How is it you avoided a company spending money? And if you can articulate, prove and or show that, uh, that's a big win yeah. too, because you're offsetting your salary and you, how you've made the organization's security program more effective. Yes, maybe there was a tool, two tools that overlapped ninety percent, and you said, you know, um, I think we should get rid of this one, right? Because there's too much overlap with this other tool. Yeah, this attack matrix will help you with that. You may have overlapping technologies. Uh, do I need AV and EDR? Probably, yeah, but I think you could probably say I could go to the new Windows ATP stuff as the core Windows solution 
versus this kind of not very good AV solution I happen to be using. Um, there are better AV solutions, so I'm not picking on AV. And say, I can save us this amount of money. I think we can just go to the Windows stuff because we're very Windows heavy. We already have ATP, whatever. Um, there's a lot of justifications why you pick one over the other. And save that money and then tr- and then transfer it to other budget items to call these other holes. I think there's a real little opportunity for people to utilize it in that aspect. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um, you can reach Michael Goff at Hacker Hurricane on Twitter. You can reach me, Brian Betcher, at Betcher Pwned, or just, you know, if you can't remember those long uh, Twitter handles, just go to log-md.com. You can find our information there and read about what we do. Yeah, mine's easier than yours. In Texas, we have to protect from hackers and hurricanes. That's where mine came from. But yeah, bet your, bet your pwn, uh, people will actually spell it out that way and go, I can't find them. It happens. All right, this is Breaking Down Incident Response. See you next time.